This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything Richard and I have been up to on Tuesday, the 10th of January. That includes digging into new rules from Saudi Arabia. Well, exceptions to new rules from Saudi Arabia about setting up an HQ. If you do business in the kingdom, this is a must listen, if we do say so ourselves. We've also been having a look at Standard Chartered's outlook for the year. Steve Bryce is the Group Chief Investment Officer. He's joined us live from Singapore. We've had breaking PMI data during the show. Always exciting, fresh numbers. And we've been speaking to Daniel Richards, Senior Economist at Emirates MBD, putting them in context and telling us what they might be saying about inflation here in the UAE. show for you this morning with a number of big stories. One of them being a story on top of a story that was huge at the time. 2021, middle of, we had the PIF summit in Saudi Arabia. And one of the big things that came out of it was basically the requirement that anyone who wanted to do government business in the kingdom, be that with the Sovereign Wealth Fund, with the government department, with one of the massive mega now giga projects, um, which is a lot of business in Saudi Arabia, would have to set up an HQ in the kingdom. And they didn't just want you to rent an office and stick a sign on the door. They didn't just want a salesman who flew in and out or even lived in the kingdom. Uh, They wanted proper executives and proper floor space, didn't they, Rich? And that was the demand. And it was if you want to be, if you want a, a horse in the race when it comes to big contracts, that is the minimum entry requirement. Yep, and the deadline was 2024. Now, we have a company's law that is going to come into effect in Saudi Arabia on the 19th of January. And it's making headlines this morning because there are a number of caveats in it to that HQ ruling. Um, A lot of exceptions, basically, of how companies can still be involved in government-related business in the kingdom without having that HQ. A lot of it is to do with bidding whether or not there are other companies involved or qualified, really, to bid for a project. Um, If you are the most competitive bid, the distance between you and the next horse in the race, if you like, you need to be 25% cheaper for some contracts. But it basically means that there is, I don't want to use the words a way around it, but it's not as black and white as it originally appeared. Yes. If you have services or goods that are still of value, then you can still bid. And it's, it, I mean, it, it basically increases competitiveness as well for the kingdom because it makes sure that they haven't basically disqualified anyone from, from bidding for a, a contract um, who might be more competitive purely on the HQ grounds. We've spoken to a couple of experts this morning about what it means for companies here primarily, which is one of our big concerns, but what it also means for that development and that, that project build in Saudi Arabia. Our producer, Mohammed Suleiman, has been speaking with Alex Nichols. Now, he is the head of KSA Expansion, so Saudi Expansion, and Community at the business setup firm's Astro Lab. This is what he makes of the development. I'm not too surprised uh, by the latest announcement that some companies will be able to operate in the kingdom without having a headquarters in the country. Um, My initial reaction is that this is just the beginning of uh, such developments and uh, when you actually look at the details of what means that you're exempt from uh, needing a regional headquarters, 
means it will affect actually a few companies looking to bid on these government projects. I think what is important to note is that most businesses will still need an operational presence in Saudi Arabia to be able to actually execute on any of these contracts. Now, how far did we get with companies moving to Saudi Arabia? That was one of the other questions that Mohammed asked Alex. What level of activity had they seen and were they still seeing? In October 2021, 44 companies were announced uh, setting up their regional headquarters in Saudi Arabia. From our conversations with the Ministry of Investment of Saudi Arabia uh, and Astrolabs, we believe that number is now closer to around 80 or 90 companies. And they obviously have an expectation of getting up to 480 companies by 2030. Now, my initial reaction there is that to be able to execute on all of the government tenders and government contracts, you will need more than 480 companies to be able to do so. Now, again, you will need to have an operational presence to be able to execute on those contracts. But whether that means that you need a regional headquarters uh, will remain to be seen. So what does Alex think is likely to happen next? Astrolabs have set up over 250 companies into Saudi Arabia, and many of those are now in conversation with us about setting up an RHQ license to go along with their operational license. Now, there are some considerations to be had here, which is, for instance, that they need to have two subsidiaries or branches in two different countries other than Saudi Arabia. Now, the RHQ must also have 15 full-time employees within the first year, and at least three mandatory uh, employees must be of a corporate executive level. And more details are expected on these rules. Alex Nichols is the head of Saudi Expansion and Community at Astrolabs. Staying with the kingdom and bringing in Serena Kelly. Morning, Serena. Morning, guys. You've got some updates on this year's Hajj. That's right. Saudi Arabia will be lifting limits on the number of pilgrims for this year's Hajj and they will be removing the age limit restrictions as well. That's according to a Saudi minister because obviously we've had three years of restrictions to curb the COVID-19 pandemic. So speaking to reporters, Taufik al-Rabiya, uh, Minister of Hajj and Amrah, said the number of pilgrims will return to what is was before the pandemic without any age limit. Uh, the Ministry of Hajj also shared the news on Twitter. So the pilgrimage scheduled for June 26th. And Richard, you've been checking in with our producer Mo to get his take on these rules. Yeah, Mohammed Suleiman has been looking into this one in some detail. We spoke to him earlier to ask him, first of all, about the importance of the return to full Hajj and its significance for a Muslim like Mohammed. Every single Muslim who is financially able, who is physically able, has to make that effort to go for Hajj at least once in his lifetime. But I think what makes Hajj really, really special um, is the fact that the multimillionaire who owns many businesses, has a big house, owns many cars, has to wear the same thing, act in the same way, go through the same struggles as that guy who is literally just sort of scraping by. And you literally can't tell the difference between the two when you're at Hajj. I mean, even when it comes to the ihram, that white cloth that you wear, um, it has to be hand-stitched, it has to be white, it has to be two pieces, it can't be branded when you're at Hajj. So it's a really, really special time uh, to be there and really where everyone's kind of equal in the eyes of God. So we are the business breakfast, so we've got to look at the business and the economics and the finances around the pilgrimage. Hajj has always been a big revenue generator for Saudi Arabia. I think the numbers that were being floated around 
pre-pandemic where that it would bring in about 30 billion dollars of revenue per year for Saudi Arabia, more than 100,000 jobs created every Hajj season. But of course, the pandemic had a huge stain that I remember we were watching uh, from home back in 2020 when a thousand pilgrims were allowed into uh, into Saudi for Hajj. And that's obviously a bit of a shock because we're used to seeing millions of people streaming into that part of the world uh, during Hajj season. But to hear now that the restrictions are being completely lifted is obviously a great bit of news. I think it'll take a bit of time for those numbers to get back to where they were pre-pandemic, uh, but of course a great start in, in the right direction. Our producer, Mohammed Suleiman, on the return to full capacity of Hajj this year in Saudi Arabia. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. So we're talking investments with the Chief Investment Officer of Standard Chartered Private Bank based in Singapore, Steve Bryce. Morning, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. You've got an acronym for 2023. You say investors should play it safe, S-A-F-E. What's the bigger picture? So I think, you know, as we enter the 2023, obviously the, the scars from 2022 from an investment perspective are very, very real and, and, and very fresh. So I think the key thing for investors as we move into this year is we, we, we're looking for um, you know, a recession most likely to occur in both the US and, and Europe. Uh, so from that perspective, the S stands for secure your yield, right? So we think that, um, you know, as we head into 2023, uh, you know, we're going to see bond yields peaking, uh, particularly in the investment grade space, um, because we see that, uh, you know, investors are taking, a, taking advantage of those high yields that were, were not available a year ago, uh, as, as uh, we, we project ultimately uh, central banks will start cutting rates. So in the near term, the Fed's going to continue hiking rates. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, but at some point, they will pivot full uh, 180 degrees to cutting rates. And that should be good for bond investors, particularly, as I say, in high credit quality, such as investment grade bonds. It'd be good, good for people like me with a mortgage here in Dubai, a dollar-based economy. When are they going to turn 180 degrees, Steve? I want to hear more about this. <laughs> Yeah, I think you know, they obviously the, the, the concern is that they're very, very focused on backward looking indicators at the moment. So I think it's going to take some time. Um, so the two areas of the economy that uh, you know, are still flashing red, if you like, from, a, a, from the Fed's perspective, are obviously inflation is still too elevated um, for, for its two uh, percent uh, target. Um, but also, if you look at the labour market, you know, we did see actually almost a Goldilocks um, employment report out on on Friday. But that's a drop in the ocean compared to the, the, the still very strong labour labor data that we're seeing and inflationary pressures coming from that. So until we start seeing unemployment, I think, materially move higher, um, which obviously would require a, a very slow growth or more likely a recession then the Fed's probably going to uh, continue tightening monetary policy. So we're still looking for the Fed funds rate to go to 5.25% before they pivot in the second half of the year and start bringing rates lower again. Okay, second half of next year, second half of this year. Look forward to that. The the, the A in your acronym of SAFE is allocate to long-term value. And you like Chinese equities, Steve. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, the Chinese equities have done pretty well, so even since we published the report in, in mid-December. Um, but we do see several factors that are really positive. Uh, so obviously, the reopening or the re- removal of uh, mobility restrictions is, is, it creates a lot of short-term challenges. But I think it, it, it is uh, very positive from a growth perspective as we head through the rest of this year. So you know, even prior to this, initially, we we're expecting actually mobility restrictions only to be eased in Q2. Uh, of this year, but obviously they started at the end of last. 
Um, and even before that, we're expecting consumer spending to contribute around, contribute around four to four and a half percent growth uh, this year. So if anything, this, that skews this, that number higher. So we think the economy is going to do well. We're seeing increasing signs that the regulatory environment is becoming uh, less anti-business, more pro-business in the property sector, whether it be the tech sector as well, consumer discretionary. Um, so we've seen some positive developments in that area. Um, and also we, we are expecting the dollar to, you mentioned the dollar and the euro earlier. Uh, we do expect the, the dollar to weaken later this year, uh, which is usually a good tailwind for emerging market assets in general. Um, but in particular, Asia, Extra Japan equities. Oh, well, hoteliers here in Dubai, Steve, will be happy to hear that because that will make them more competitive <laughs> from some of our key source markets like Germany. Uh, very quickly, the F in your acronym SAFE is to fortify against surprises. You say we should have a little bit of cash and a little bit of gold. Yes. Yeah, so I think in this environment, you know, it isn't going to be a straight line improvement, right? So we are going to see, as we say, we do see that recession coming through in the U.S., um, and Europe as well, um, then it isn't going to be plain selling equities overall. Global equities, we're still a little bit uh, concerned about the outlook. We think there may be for the US stock market, for instance, a significant leg lower before we, we, we actually find a base. So against that backdrop, we are looking for diversifiers. Um, that's, um, you know, so F&E actually addressed that. So fortifying, having some cash on the sidelines ready to deploy when we do see that uh, weakness in equity markets. Gold is a good portfolio diversifier. And then extending your horizons beyond the traditional as well is, is the E. Uh, so looking at uh, different areas within alternative assets, whether it be private assets or, or some of the hedge fund strategies out there. Um, just to give you some downside protection should the uh, environment turn turn south even more than we expect. Yeah, you, you talk about liquid liquid alternative strategies. Sounds like one of my colleague Tom Urquhart's lunches. Uh, but we'll, we'll, move on from, <laughs> we'll move on from that. In terms of currency markets, you've touched on these before, but a weaker dollar, you think, in 2023. Where are we now and where do you see us going? Yeah, so I think you know, we've obviously seen significant weakness over the past month or so uh, already. Uh, we do think that the market is maybe underpricing the risk of higher rates in the short term. So, you know, the dollar weakness may reverse a little bit in the first quarter, um, but we'd definitely be selling into that uh, as we move through the rest of the year. The Bank of Japan obviously has already uh, signaled its policy uh, move towards a less uh, accommodative stance. We see Europe as, as likely to uh, you know, um, tighten policy further. So as the Fed peaks then, uh, in terms of the rate hikes, then we should see the dollar fall. So not looking for a, a, a massive collapse, uh, but maybe another 6-7% on the downside for the euro uh, from, you know, as, as we head through the rest of the year. And that should be good for emerging market currencies as well. 30 seconds left, Steve. What about stocks here in the Middle East from an international perspective. 12% of global IPO money raised was in the UAE or in the Middle East last year. Companies like Dubai Electricity and Water, which you know well. 20 seconds, are they on the radar of international investors? I think market capitalization obviously is, 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 is still a challenge for most, most people in terms of making a significant allocation uh, and the, if we do see a recession, that won't be positive for oil prices. So uh, not top of the agenda, I think, for international investors, but obviously always something to keep an eye on. Steve Bryce, always good talk to you. Appreciate your time this morning or this afternoon as it is with you in Singapore. That is the voice of Steve Bryce. He is the Chief Investment Officer with Standard Chartered Private Bank in Singapore. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's have a look at breaking news this morning in the last 
20 minutes. We have the Dubai PMI data coming out from S&P. This is the Purchasing Managers Index. Having a look at how the non-oil private sector is performing here in Dubai. Uh, The answer is good, but not as good as we have been. So, the glass is definitely half full, isn't it? 50-odd is a good reading. What's the number? 50... 55.2. The glass is definitely half full. And in fact, um, in the comments that the economist behind this report, David Owen, makes, um, he uh, suggests that, and I quote, the Emirate is performing much better than global economic trends for activity and demand. He also says that that outperformance holds true on the inflation side, which is really interesting given what we've been discussing this morning with the guys at Kearney. So two of the things to come out of this report, and they measure, well, there's a number of factors that they uh, they measure. I can give you all of them, actually. Uh, they look at changes in output, new orders, employment, suppliers, delivery times, and stocks of purchasers' goods. And then they do the qualitative bit where they ask these mythical purchasing managers that Richard <laughs> doesn't quite believe in um, how they feel about things going forward. So... On the inflation side, for which we're looking at both um, input costs and output costs, both have fallen. So the great thing is getting cheaper if you like to do business, and that cheapness is being passed on. Two ticks. Job growth basically is continuing on the growth side, so we're up rather than down, but that is softening. So is the output rate. Um, Business orders are looking good. What is interesting and where we do have um, a a little bit more of a a softening is those feelings about the the future and future activity and what does it hold for for you going forward. Uh, We do have weaker output forecasts there. It's a a good set of numbers, isn't it, given what's happening in the global economy? No question. But we are obviously not immune to what's happening in the global economy. Cannot be. So a bit of softening. Uh, has to be expected and you would you know economic logic would expect more softening later in the year i mean oil's 80 bucks a barrel so governments have got money they've got a war chest um we're going to be speaking to daniel richards of emirates mbd he is going to go through those numbers for us and put them in context other stories we're looking at this morning Uh, let's talk about the economics of movies because black adam was one supposed to be one of the big blockbuster movies of 2022, but it didn't really turn out that way. It was the superhero movie with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, the biggest movie star in the world at the moment. Physically or in terms of box office appeal? All of the above. But it didn't even make the top 10 of highest grossing movies of 2022. It was 11th behind Sonic the Hedgehog. That's not the way that Dwayne The Rock Johnson likes his to career rock. to go. Exactly. What went wrong with Black Adam? Well, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his millions of Instagram followers, he has taken to Instagram uh, to explain cryptically what might have gone wrong. Now, he doesn't specifically reference the Black Adam movie, but everyone knows it's been a super-duper flop. Cost a fortune to make, bombed at the box office. Reviews were pretty lukewarm as well. This is him talking in cryptic terms or in general terms about the fact that it's okay to fail. Do you buy it or do you not? And is this the future president of the United States of America? (laughs) Dwayne The Rock Johnson on the power of failure. Having the guts to fail um, compared to having the desire to be famous, having the desire to succeed. And by the way, you should have a desire to win, desire to succeed, there's nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with that and that's your truth. But I have found in life, the desire to 
become famous, the desire to succeed will never be as powerful as having the guts to fail. And that leads my decisions. That allows me to take big swings, fail at some of them, but then also succeed at some of them. So uh, I will always take guts over desire. Well, I think that is a voice that could deliver an inaugural address. Yes, it absolutely could. Um, yeah, I mean, countless um, CEOs, particularly on the creative side, and we've been talking about Bob Iger from Disney this morning, haven't we, um, have talked about the importance of failing. Uh, Steve Jobs was was big on it. Um, uh, Mr. Virgin as well is always um, being, quite, uh, being quite big. Richard Branson on the amount of businesses that he had failed before he created the Virgin Group. And then even within Virgin, I mean, I was reading something the other day about the Amazon Fire Phone, which you don't remember because it never worked. Oh, goodness gracious me, yeah. No one's buying an Amazon Fire Phone. <laughs> not. It's a terrible name for starters when you think about it. Um, and it literally went down in flames. I mean, it was a ginormous, costly mess for, for, for Amazon. I mean, evidenced by the fact that they do not make mobile phones. However, at the time, um, we had... Uh, we, we had them come out and say, look, there is going to be bigger failures from us. Basically, you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet um, on the uh, failure front because this isn't as, as bad. This is Jeff Bezos. This isn't as bad as we're going to do. Um, we need to fail. We need to, to do things that don't work. Because if you think of, OK, you know, you've, you've made a phone and it, I'm trying to find out how much money they put into the Fire Phone and it hasn't worked. But all they need is one thing that really, really takes off an Amazon Prime and you've more than paid for it. Oh, completely. And, and, and they are not the only large technology company in Seattle that had a multi billion dollar disaster with mobile phones because Microsoft paid, I think, seven, eight billion dollars for Nokia. And it was an epic fail. Yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars is all I can find for the Fire Phone. But he described it as a tiny little blip. I mean, it's nice to be in a position where you can write off hundreds of millions of dollars in a, in a failed experiment. Um, but, yeah, if you don't fail, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah, and that, that's what Dwayne The Rock Johnson said. And I, and I take his point. Um, but to go back to the tech companies, okay. So Amazon lost hundreds of millions of dollars on Fire Phones. Fine, didn't work out. Hundreds of millions of dollars small change for them lunch money microsoft lost seven billion dollars by nokia didn't work out fine microsoft is spending 70 billion dollars buying activision blizzard in its bet on the metaverse now even for amazon 70 billion is not lunch money and the metaverse is not looking quite as compelling was, a concept as it was six months ago oh yeah i mean i was i was going to say the rebrand of Facebook into to Meta and the focus there, you could argue that hasn't gone as well as many would have thought. No, a share price is down. I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but it's down more than 50% since that late October rebranding 2021 of Facebook to Meta and Mark Zuckerberg. We will no longer be a Facebook first company. We will be a Meta first company. If you, you're a, if you, if you bought shares of Facebook that day for your pension fund, that has not worked out well for you. But if you don't try, you don't know. You don't want to be the person standing there saying these horseless carriages, they'll never take off. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. What is this fax machine you speak of? Yeah, I know. The wheel, so overrated. <laughs> exactly. Fire? What? Yeah, yeah. The fire phone maybe didn't work, but fire did. Oh, so I'm with Dwayne. I'm, I'm giving that an absolute yes. Yourself? Uh, yeah, I like Dwayne. And yeah, 2028, POTUS. 
You heard it here first. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's have a look at that PMI data with Daniel Richards, Senior Economist at Emirates NBD this morning, joining us on the line. Uh, Danny, good morning. Nice to speak to you. Hi, good morning. I hope I can live up to Richard's excitement this morning. (laughs) It was quite the intro. Right. (laughs) If I had a dirham, Daniel. (laughs) Oh, no pressure whatsoever. Okay, (laughs) 55 points and a bit is where we are on the PMI-ometer. Uh, the Purchasing Managers Index that the guys at S&P put together. This data came out in the last hour. If we just take that headline number, Danny, what does it tell us? How are you reading that? Yeah, it's pretty strong, right? When you compare it to the rest of the world, we've seen PMI surveys tick down into negative sub-50 territory. So 55.2, that's pretty resolutely above that neutral 50 level. So it's a pretty strong expansion rate. It's ticked up from the previous month. But at the same time, it is the second lowest reading since April. And the fourth quarter was the slowest since uh, Q1. So there is a slowdown in the pace of growth. But for the time being, on that headline level, it's still pretty robust. That slowdown in the pace of growth, though, let's dig into the areas that are slowing, starting with output growth. Yeah, so, I mean, we expected that the, the pace would slow down through the end of the year and indeed through into next year. And that's been reflected in most of the subcomponents of the surveys. It's broken down into a number of different sections, like new orders, output, etc. And there is a broad slowdown there. Um, like I say, it's not particularly concerning, but it is perhaps reflective of what we're seeing in the wider global economy. Dubai is, of course, a, it's a relatively small economy and is certainly a very open one. So it's not immune from the impact of slower global growth, softer merchandise trade volumes, and slowing consumption through tourism and other sectors such as that. So it is a slowdown. But again, I say when you compare it to much of the rest of the world, Dubai and the region is still in a pretty good place. One of the areas that didn't slow was construction. New work at its strongest rate of growth in nearly two years. Yeah, it's really... um, So we saw a slowdown in tourism in particular, but construction is really holding up the survey as a whole. So we get it broken down for a wholesale retail trade, tourism and construction. Out of three, it's really construction that's going great guns. And I guess that's kind of reflective in terms of what we've been seeing in the housing market and in terms of new projects and all the rest. It's not quite the kind of booms that we might have seen in decades past or decade past, but it's still indicative of pretty strong uh, optimism in that sector particularly. Right. One area that is slowing, but we are welcoming it, is pricing pressure. We've got slower uh, growth in output prices, falling in fact, and in the input prices as well. Tell us how this will show itself physically in terms of inflation. Yeah, so this has long been the trend in Dubai, and it's again the case in December that yeah, the softening input prices have enabled businesses to cut their output prices to what they charge to us by an even greater degree. But that's kind of uh, that cutting of output prices has been something they've maintained um, as, as and when they can, given the competitive environment here. Much of the inflation we drive over the last year or so hasn't necessarily been 
uh, things that business could control because much of it has come from transport in particular uh, through what people are paying at the pump and we've seen inflation go up and down with that. So looking ahead to next year with oil price pressures not going to be quite the same degree and businesses still trying to cut output prices as much as they can, we would expect a slowdown in the pace of price growth for, uh, for consumers next year. Tell us your house views on both of those um, numbers, Danny. Oil, we're sitting at about $79 and change this morning for, for Brent. What does Emirates MBD think is happening in terms of both the oil price and inflation here in the UAE? So the oil price, we actually hold quite a, a view that the oil prices will average more this year, average $105 a barrel, so quite a way higher than they're starting off the first quarter. And that's on the back of our expectations of market tightness in the second half as China reopening uh, really gets going and demand picks up there. While on the supply side, we don't expect a particular ramp up in supply. So second half would see market tightness, we'd expect, which would lead to a higher average oil price over the year compared to last year. But all the same, while prices aren't going to fall and we expect them to be higher on average, they're not going to increase to the percentage degree that we saw last year. So in terms of inflationary pressures, that's going to be much less. And for around 4.5% last year, we'd expect inflation to be more of a 2.5% level here. Not the deflationary environment we're used to, but still a lot softer than last year and indeed, again, softer than we're seeing in much of the rest of the world. Which brings us to jobs. Funny enough, we've been talking about inflation and we've been talking about salary expectations on the show this morning. A couple of surveys out that have uh, outlined what people are hoping to see. We've got moderating job growth in this PMI data this morning. Yeah, so there hasn't been a great deal of job growth. And that's kind of been a trend we've seen uh, throughout the year, really, despite the strong uh, growth in output, a lot of the time it's been businesses trying to do more with less and that is uh, as things have shown in, in, in the last quarter as well that, that marginal growth in employment has, has become even more marginal. Uh, looking ahead to next year, you know, we still expect pretty robust growth so there will still be job opportunities but perhaps not to the degree we might anticipate given what we're seeing in terms of a pretty strong GDP growth output. We do expect GDP growth next year to slow to around 35 to 4%. Uh, but still, you know, it still should support some employment growth. And Danny Richard, senior economist from Emirates MBD, thank you so much for joining us on the show this morning. Flicking through that data that came out in the last hour, hour and a half uh, globally, and that is the S&P Dubai PMI. Uh, a very solid number, 55 is what we have come in at, showing that the private non-oil sector economy is expanding rather than contracting. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.